Today, documentary films are experiencing a major renaissance, and for good reason. But why are audiences increasingly choosing fact over fiction? Is it a dearth of realism, like endless comic book sequels and end-of-the-world action movies? Are viewers choosing authentic storytelling over spectacular visuals and far-fetched plots? Or maybe it's because docs f***ing rule. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And we host SupDoc. We didn't go to film school. We're just two comedians that dork out on docs. And since 2015, we've been recapping amazing documentaries with comedians, actors, and filmmakers like legendary comedians Dana Gould and Todd Glass. Musicians like Yacht and Dan Deacon. And even media stars like Jesse Thorne and Francesca Fiorentini. The AV Club called us enlightening, and Boing Boing said SupDoc is a great idea for a podcast. So find us wherever you get your podcasts or join us at SupDocPodcast.com. And follow us on social media at Subdoc Podcast. In Southern California, just outside Hollywood, there is a most unusual hotel. A hotel dedicated to the golden age of cinema and the departures of its most influential and notorious players. It is a destination that spotlights the manners in which these men and women of Hollywood perished. Welcome to the Swan Hotel. Third floor and second door on the left. Tonight we find ourselves in the 450 square foot confines of room 302, a 1932 reproduction of Chicago's Northside Hotel O'Donohue. Middling at best, this close-packed display of spaghetti wallpaper and jerry-built furniture takes a bit of maneuvering. That is, thanks to the dumpy mannequin of Irish-American silent film star Percy Quinn lying face down on the floor with a high-tension wire wrapped around his neck. Fill your pint and dummy up to a plate of corned beef and cabbage. It's a shamrock day at the Swan Hotel. Born Percival O'Leary Quinn in 1893 to Irish and Welsh parents, Percy Fats, as the public would know him, made a lasting impression in silent films with slapstick gems like Moon Pie and Apple Aggie in 1919. He was a master with props and could bring to life the simplest of objects, as he famously did with a set of ice cream cones in the charming classic A Day on Parade. And in his first six-reel feature, The Boardwalk, Quinn showed off his surprising bicycle skills. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? And cut! How did it look? Ah, sensational, just sensational! After marrying then-actress Olga Minter in 1923, Quinn's stardom was evident and his fortune had reached a vast sum, which included a large Hollywood complex in the hills, a small collection of cars, and a walking zoo for a wardrobe. He even owned a buoyant restaurant called Lorna's, after his mother, where he dined every Wednesday evening. <laughs> Charles, tear up everybody's ticket. Tonight, dinner's on me. Well, honey, you heard the man. <laughs> Harry, Harry, put down that pie. Put it, Harry, put down that pie. 
A roaring and prosperous time, Quinn aimed to build on his wealth through a series of land investments. Sadly for Quinn, the fertile California farmland he sought was nothing more than a sinking wasteland. And on a Black Tuesday in October, the custard pie comedy mogul witnessed the beginning of the end. And with his riches tied up in poor investments, Percy Quinn found himself in financial ruin by the close of 1931. And with it, his marriage. Where are you going? You can't leave, Olga. This is your home. Take a look around you. This isn't a home. It's an estate sale. And we're the last two items on the inventory. August, sweetheart, baby, I, I got nothing left. I'm sorry, Percy. After the divorce and liquidation, Quinn moved east to Chicago where he tried to start anew. Unfortunately, the once lovable and laugh-a-minute actor found that his name carried little to no weight during the crippling economic times. And soon, desperation filled the comedian, forcing him to walk a line he never dreamed necessary. By the 1930s, the Chicago Outfit, an Italian-American crime syndicate, controlled the city's south side. And down its ranks, set a ruthless capo by the name of Joseph Giannino, who was looking to put his stamp on the organization. In addition to bootlegging and bribery, Giannino, the innovative man he was, ran a number of unique rackets, including the sales of stolen artifacts to museums and universities in Chicago, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles during a boom in archeological discovery. After reading of Giannino's dealings in rare museum pieces, thanks to a crew slip-up, and sitting with a mountain of despair, Percy Quinn put his knowledge of movie props to use in an attempt to fool the unwitting and uneducated gangster. He set out to fake the discovery of a native ceremonial spearhead, which he fashioned himself. And after an introduction, a meeting was set. So is that it? That's it. <laughs> what is it? It's the head of the Ahout Spear. It was used for ceremonial purposes. You see the three squiggly markings at the base? All right, all right, all right. How'd you get it? It's the last piece from my collection. That's right. You used to be a big deal. Yeah, I used to be. I didn't have the heart to sell it. And I take it by those moth holes in your jacket, today's the day. <laughs> yep. And with this seemingly simple transaction, Percy Quinn's destiny had been determined. It didn't take long for Giannino to figure out that the spearhead was a fake, thanks to the highest paid museum curator on the East Coast. Giannino insisted on another meeting with Quinn on the pretext of acquiring more pieces. And so, on St. Patrick's Day 1932, with the Southside pubs packed and overflowing into the streets, Percy Quinn, not wanting to raise suspicion, but deep down knowing his fate had been sealed, waited for Giannino and his crew inside the lobby bar of his north side residence, the Hotel O'Donoghue.
Well, you're wearing the wrong color today, Fats. Why the blue? Say, Frank, you got a few pennies? There's... There's someone I like to call. Ah, uh, phone's out. Company was supposed to send someone over. But I guess it'd be in a holiday and all. Ah, uh, it's alright. Probably changed her name anyway. I screwed up, Frank. Yeah, how so, Fats? Eh, details aren't important. But as my dear ma'am would say, God rest her soul, we have made a mistake, and now it's time to pay the piper. Ah, he who pays the piper calls the tune. <sighs> yeah. And that tune, in my case, is a funeral march. Hey, Mr. Quinn, nice to see you again. You're looking well fed. <laughs> a lot of dough will keep those plates filled, huh? You know, I was hoping uh, we might talk in private. Perhaps uh, upstairs. Uh, another drink, Fats? Yeah. Thanks. You better pour this one slow into the top, Frank. Might be my last one for a while. Thanks, Frank. This way, Mr. Quinn. Oh, Mr. Quinn. You drink. Wars and genocides, both past and present, refer to them as death marches. And right now, Mr. Percy Quinn is taking a walk down a similar road. A road of timelessness and infamy. And so with a swig of Dutch courage in a room of Irish cheer, the silent film icon turned forger Percy Quinn ascended the stairs to his room where he paid the piper. Happy St. Patrick's Day from your favorite barman, the Swan Hotel.